0: Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no-obligation offer from OpenStore at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. thank you for uh being here today with us guys excited to talk about your success story in successfully getting acquired by open store um you know talk through the ins and outs of starting the brand all the way to you know trials and tribulations to getting it you know going through the trenches and then ultimately getting acquired so um, i'm also i'm your host ramon i'm joined uh, with my co-host blaine Bolis. And so I want to pass it back to you, um, Brandon and Chris, to just talk a little bit about your, your background story, um, you know, before you, you started Yoga Stay and who you are and where you come from.
1: Sure, yeah, so I was uh, at Penn State, uh, played football at Penn State, uh, ended up getting injured going into my senior year. So I was on, you know, medical scholarship going into my senior year had dreams, aspirations of going to the NFL, and it just didn't pan out for me. Um, you know, was struggling with the, the mindset of trying to cope with this injury and, you know, my failed dreams. Uh, thankfully, kind of stumbled into an entrepreneurship community at Penn State, met some really cool people, saw some cool speakers, one of which uh, I ended up partnering with on a men's clothing brand that I launched my senior year of college called Zesties. We sold like crazy men's shirts, men's rompers, um, some like really unique clothing and ended up making some, started making some money in my senior year. And I just saw, I was like, wow, like this is fun. It's addicting. Um, I love just the process of like doing this and decided to go full time on it. And I'll transition to you, Chris, but that's where I actually, I met Chris first year after college. Um, we moved into this big house outside of Philadelphia with 12 other e-commerce entrepreneurs who were kind of doing similar stuff. Everyone had their own brands. Most of us had several brands by this point. And it was a crazy idea, we moved in together and it was a bunch of like mid 20 year old dudes just like launching brands in this house together. So it was a crazy time. But I actually met Chris on a FaceTime call and I I see in the background uh, an American flag looked like a romper that I was selling, a men's romper. I was like, Chris, what is that in the back? And he went over to it and it was my brand romper oh, wow. in the back. So he had like actually bought from me before I even met him. And I was like, this is like actually hilarious. Yeah. What are the chances? Like just such a funny run. And you're like, yeah, I bought a bunch of them for my friends. when on like a ski trip or something. Uh, it was Halloween. Oh, Halloween. Yeah, we okay. bought six of them. Wow. Yeah. So you put some beer money in my pocket my yeah, senior year. I was, which I'm I was a,
2: a high AOV customer for you guys. So, yeah. so you were from Philly as well, Chris? Yeah, that's where I grew up um and after i graduated i knew that i wanted to start my own business but I had no idea of like what i wanted to go into I had no background in it uh, ended up taking a job at amazon and while i was working at amazon doing supply chain i was working i was on night shift at amazon so during the day i was working on the business and then um, on my drives to and from work i was like listening to podcasts and that kind of stuff then after I left Amazon, I ended up moving in with the group that Brendan's talking about where there's 12 of us um, you know, all everybody was e-commerce entrepreneur a lot of us starting out for the first time and the, the part that was the best about that for me was like the Environment of like everybody trying to learn together at the same time and that it was like if I was doing it on my own or Brendan was doing it on his own like we would learn at the, the rate of one person like we would try something it would fail or work, then you improve from there. But like when you have 12 or 13 people who are all doing that same thing, like that guy just learned something new that works on Facebook ads. This guy just learned something not to do on your Shopify optimization. It just allowed all of us to like learn at such a rapid pace that I think at the time, we didn't even like quite realize like how awesome it was for us. But uh, I can say at least for myself, I definitely would not have been able to grow as quickly as we did without that group.
0: Was that organized by the school? Was it an individual thing? Also, what year were you in college then?
2: Uh, I was graduated at that point. Brent and Brennan had just graduated. I was out for like about year and a half at that point. Uh, and, it, and it wasn't organized by college. It was just from a couple of us were friends from, from Penn State. And uh, I think we saw each other in like a Facebook group, like a ClickFunnels Facebook uh-huh. group and connected in that. And uh, yeah, just started reaching out people from there um and yeah. what year was this uh 2017? 2017
1: 2017 we moved in 2018 but it started like talks of it started in 2016
2: what were your majors out of curiosity
1: uh finance and entrepreneurship
2: it's a good one uh i was economics yeah not applicable
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i think you know in terms of principles with economics and finance are probably like the best you can get in business from from a college degree perspective, I can say marketing or, or PR is definitely not useful. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: I think it just I think it just comes down to like what what interests you, right? Like if you're learning economics out of a textbook, it maybe isn't as interesting. But as soon as you start actually understanding economics from the lens of operating your own business, then it becomes a lot more interesting. Same with like marketing, PR, right, everything, right? Um so why don't you guys take us back? So you guys clearly you got together, you met, you know, through a mutual e-commerce house. You guys were all kind of like learning stuff together um, in that sort of environment that you have set up. But what was the first brand that you guys like launched together and how did that kind of kick off?
1: Yeah, we launched um, Chris and I decided to partner together pretty soon after getting there. We just saw, saw that our values aligned um, and we thought we'd have a good working relationship together. And, you know, it turns out that we did. Um, the first business we actually launched was a jewelry business um for women so um you know it's just kind of like unique like inspirational jewelry um which was funny like you know we did we were passionate about it and in the sense that like it was our first time kind of working together and you know launching new products and learning how to do email effective email marketing sms marketing facebook ads but to be in jewelry when like neither of us actually like wear any of the stuff. Mm-hmm. It felt like a little removed from it. So we ended up then transitioning from that. We basically, we ran it for a while. I think we scaled it to seven figures. Um, and then we just wanted to transition into some other brands that more aligned with like our actual interests um, and grow them, you know, even bigger than we were able to grow that. Is that?
3: But, I think that's, that's really interesting. Cause I think one thing that a lot of entrepreneurs think about is like, what is the right business for me to start, right? There's a lot of businesses, a lot of opportunities that the market may signal to you. Um, but what I'd kind of like to unpack with you guys is what was the signal for you guys to jump into starting like a jewelry line? Was it, did you have like a, you know, a relationship with someone who could supply jewelry or did you have someone who you're like, oh, I think there's a great market signal. Like what was, what, you know, got you
2: guys to pursue that opportunity uh, starting out? Yeah, I think the first step was just be evaluating where we were like as business partners starting this, like things to consider were like, how much time do we have to put into this? What uh, like resources, like capital, like we were bootstrapping from like nothing, uh, which definitely determined some of the the routes you can and cannot take. Uh, And then also like, what was our experience? Like uh, at that point we didn't have like a ton of D to C ad experience. We were like still very new to it. So uh, the first thing that we did is like, to your point, we did have through a mutual connection in the house, Uh, a reference to like a print on, not print on demand a jewelry supplier, um, which that streamlined things a lot and making that decision. Um, But then it was also just like looking out at the markets and seeing what was out there that, uh, you know, what were the signs of like, this is what we do like still to today that still works is like, see what is working like not just on Amazon, but like on Etsy, Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram, look everywhere and see like, how is, how are the buyers behaving online right now? And then you take those trends that you notice, uh, like socks was a perfect example. Like Brendan saw that that was an expanding market, like saw it on um, Google Trends Finder, like the keyword search tool, um, and see what's out there, and then see where there's an opportunity for us to source it at a low cost, and not have an extreme amount of overhead like put into inventory so what
0: are those input variables that you know make an opportunities particularly attractive so for example keyword research um uh, supplier um leverage um unit economics insight into the market from you know first-hand experience like how what what are those inputs um in terms of of uh you know value for for choosing to start a business and how much weight do you put into each one of those because i think the question Blaine just asked it's like well what was it you know was it that you guys had a connection to a supplier because a business can look great in unit economics and it's like the best unit economics but like if you can't get behind it and you can't get passionate or you know their SEO like there's not enough keyword search volume or whatever then it just doesn't work so how do you look at those when like identifying an opportunity
1: to go after for, for most of the brands we started we just we were looking for products that would essentially be like scroll stoppers on social media. So, um, we knew that we were going to be very heavily reliant to start with social media ads, Facebook ads, Google ads, mainly Facebook ads at the time. Um, so we were trying to identify products that just grabbed a lot of attention. Um, first and foremost, and we would, for all the brands we started, um, I think something unique that, that we did and it's kind of the new age entrepreneurship methodology now is to kind of like pre-launch products so before we actually put a dollar into inventory we would launched the entire collection for for all of the brands that we did so we have done a sock company a tie-dye company jewelry company uh, yoga company men's apparel company a couple other in there but those were our five kind of most successful brands every one of those was pre-sold at the start so we just built out the collection didn't have any inventory just told our customers that we were gonna be pre-selling and and we just were trying to gauge interest and and drive some some traffic and see how well the site converted, see what our cost per clicks were on Facebook and see if we had real traction before we started pursuing the product. I would add the second half of that equation would be um, then to figure out sourcing. Could we, like Chris just said before, can we figure out, can we source the product for a cheap enough cost make it quality cheap and be able to sell it, turn it at a profit. So we had to make sure that our gross margin checked out after we proved the concept. Um, cause we had launched a couple of brands where we saw good signs, but we were just like, we couldn't get it sourced, couldn't get it made cheap enough for, uh, for us to start sourcing it and be able to sell it at a price point that consumers would buy.
0: So for the, for that process. And by the way, I was just uh, actually I was uh, a VidCon and I came across this, toy company called zuru or something like that i don't know if you've ever heard of them they have yeah they have um they they're basically making i think they're over a billion in revenue they're making businesses for e-commerce that are content first like even you know the, the entire pro one of their entire products is just built for unboxing videos so um that's definitely, you know, one of those input variables um that I think is like completely new. Um, but as you mentioned, right, like, you know, unit economics might not work. Um, so when you're doing that pre-sale process, um how do you how much effort do you put into like landing page, copy, et cetera? Because a lot of people can get caught up in like the perfect website. Um you know how much how much effort do you put into that how, how do you build well, those out
3: and just to like add in there like let's pretend uh you were coming up with a new product right now and you're like okay we want to validate it first before and like do this pre sale. like how would you build that out like what would that process look like for you guys
2: uh yeah at a high level it, it takes about 24 maybe 48 hours so like one to two days if we're like both sitting down like really working on it and the process is on the shopify store it's debut theme everything as simple as humanly possible like two tabs at the top if that like products about us contact us like three maybe uh and then the main work is just on say that we identified like socks for example building out a collection around those socks like what are the designs for we try to have at least like 25 to 30 products so that it's not like we would never launched with a collection of five things it have you have to have enough that you can have a decent aov And that everybody on social media whether it's like 18 to 65 plus male or female has to be something that they would like but at the same time the balancing act is not making it look like too generic like it has to be niche but not like too niche so there's like a a sweet spot that after you launch a couple of collections you kind of get the hang of it but we would do that debut theme everything as simple as possible and then um we would put about a thousand bucks into ads and the ads would just be as simple as uh, just taking the product photos from all of them and then using like uh, some kind of sales copy, uh, driving traffic to the collection page instead of the product page. And then even if we're not getting any sales out of the gate, because it's only you know a couple hundred bucks spending in the first day, just by seeing the cost per click, the click through rates, the CPMs, and then the engagement is another big one. Um, like are people commenting, liking, sharing uh, on the posts, that is a huge indication whether it's going to be successful or not. And to what Brendan was saying, it's in evaluating a a brand, it's number one, demand, number two is supply chain. So like, we'll first see, like, is anybody going to buy this? And then second, are okay, now that people are going to buy it, are we able to give it to the people that buy? And it's pretty simple. Like if, if, you know, we run into some kind of supply chain hiccup, then we just like refund the people. It's only like a thousand bucks, but, all in you can test a a brand new store with like yeah anywhere from 2500 to five grand
0: so let's talk about yoga stay specifically for for this which is the the company that open store bought when how was the the pre-sale process for that and what let you know that hey this is a winner we should double down on this one
2: yeah so that one was uh it was actually pretty easy because we didn't need to do like a pre-sale it was just through uh print-on-demand, Printify, which is, like, ideal. It's, like, lower margin because it's print-on-demand, but it's all fulfilled, like, as the orders come in. And then just about immediately, we saw that... I mean, you were bootstrapping,
0: right? So you you have to sacrifice sometimes the margin, but you're not taking on this huge risk of capital. Remember, like, you're still bootstrapping this. Yeah,
2: and that's one of the number one mistakes that I see people make that's, like, just so painful to have that conversation with somebody who's, like... They're so passionate about whatever product or brand or you know even a software company whatever it is that like they love and then you know they find out that like the demand isn't there i've had so many conversations where they invested a ton in inventory and then it's like now i have a warehouse full of fidget spinners like, <laughs> yeah. what, what am i going to do with these things um but to your question Yogi Stay, we saw immediately that it was uh extremely cheap traffic a high average order value which for us Put some numbers behind it it was like in the 55 uh it's like 50-ish range um and the traffic was extremely cheap uh and then we soon after we launched we got uh, a covid bump in ad spend so we got fortunate with launching right around covid for the ad standpoint because everyone was at home cpms were down you know it was like the heyday for ads until all the supply chain delays started to trickle in and that's when it kind of became a double-edged sword that like we had a ton of sales coming in. Uh, but then we <laughs> Printify basically shut us off overnight, mm-hmm. but that's a whole nother story.
3: Well, let's get into that because I think, you know, uh, as any commerce brand will know that getting the order and getting the demand is like half the battle. And then you actually have to play the operations game and being able to fulfill and deliver upon like what you ordered. So what, um, what was that process like, you know, with with Printify? Because in this case, in, in many other brands, right, you might be ordering your own products, stocking it in your own warehouse or three PL, and then sending it out when you're fulfilling orders. But in Printify's case, right, um, they were print on demand, so were they they were handling all the fulfillment and everything for you guys. So what happened when they said, um, you know, hey, we have COVID backups?
2: Like, what 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 was your guys's next move at that point? Yeah, they they. Pretty much said uh, so. Yes, they fulfilled everything. As the order would come in, it would go out to their network of printers, uh, which the one we were using was actually here in Florida. They would take the blank shirt. Their DTG machine is linked to our store, and then they print it out and ship it out the door. That's how it worked normally. <laughs> when COVID happened, our I remember our account rep, who's a great guy. I don't want to like you know crap all over Printify, but they uh, he said yeah we're backed up we don't know when we're getting more blanks and this was industry-wide like all the mills had shut down just about and uh i don't know how to help you <laughs> and, and at that point we had about ten thousand orders outstanding so we we're like sweet <laughs> uh what do we do with all these orders and we were like looking at the finances to like refund them and it was like screw that like we have to figure something else out um so we ended up like just going to start researching all over the place and found like a small printer that happened to have some stocks they didn't have as high a demand during COVID, and it was a delay. And we were giving out a lot of refunds. To people who didn't feel like waiting, but yeah, we were able to get through it. But it was it was certainly not fun.
1: And then it, and then it opened the door for other opportunities. Moving to a smaller partner though, who also offered fulfillment too. So we started as just apparel. We were we were you know found a, a good market started with just apparel but then we decided to expand into mats and pants and only after moving did that open up because we were able to do print-on-demand stuff and then combine that with inventoried stuff. So we started sourcing, after we did apparel, we started sourcing uh, pants and we started making pants um, overseas. We brought them over here and we started cross-selling to our customers that bought apparel and they just responded so well to it we were like wow like our email list was like lighting up our you know our ads were doing really well and then the next logical step for us was to get yoga mats and so we just kind of built it that way and but and by this point we had you know made some money doing it we were able to invest our own money into inventory um, and we just started adding product lines and then gave us so much firepower to work with in ads in email um, just having multiple product lines for the same customer like the yogi and at the same time, like Chris and I like love doing yoga too. So it was fun for us to actually like make a yoga mat that we had. We had a bunch of them laying around our house. Like I had like several in my room and like we got to make a good quality yoga mat with like cool designs and like artist designs on them. We were doing like hot yoga and like just like enjoyed actually, you know, what we were making too. And it became more effortless to us than some of the past stuff we were doing. So we kind of stumbled into it, but it was it was a, a market that we just enjoyed working in a lot more.
0: And so when you were sourcing these suppliers, you know, there is no, at least to my knowledge, there aren't great. It's not like it's super easy. You know, there's no great tech out there or marketplaces where like they pair you with like the perfect supplier. Sometimes it's finding a diamond in the rough. It's like that small mom and pop, you know, family owned supplier who nobody knows about in the middle of nowhere in Colorado or something like that. So how, you know, given what you learned through sourcing, how did that, you know, how did your process change from first sourcing the shirts to like sourcing the pants, then the yoga mats, like AKA, you know, what advice you have for anyone who's like sourcing their, their first products to just be as efficient with time as possible.
2: Yeah, So in the case of Yoga Stay, we actually went through a like a sourcing partner who's a U.S. based company who mm-hmm. found all the manufacturers and had those connections um, and they were super helpful. And I think open is continuing to work with them now, a company called Imprint Genius, where they we basically were able to be hands off with like uh, everything from the finding the mat supplier, the pants, they manage everything like end to end. And obviously like the pricing model is that you know there's a margin added in there for the sourcing agent but for somebody who who doesn't have that um, and wants to try to keep well his, do they
0: have an moq or something
2: like uh, no no well, well sometimes the manufacturers do but uh-huh. the benefit of working with a sourcing agent is that they have the relationships of like all of their client base that then they're able to where like if just yoga stay goes to a manufacturer we might get X rate mm-hmm. but then if this sourcing agent brings 10 of his clients worth of business all through him, then that manufacturer will give him a discounted rate, which then all of his, you know, uh, clients are able to benefit from. And then same thing for shipping. They're able to coordinate uh, like cargo containers to like, so you don't have to do like less than container loads, which are more expensive. They're able to like strategically plan the shipping so that it all goes together. They can buy a full crate, which gives you, especially nowadays, gives you much cheaper shipping.
0: What is the process? typically take how much time like working with those people with the with a partner um who finds the suppliers
2: yeah so f- from the time that i told imping genius that we wanted uh to ship out that we wanted to do yoga mats i would say it was about 45 days to when we had the first samples uh-huh and then it's on me to like get back to them quickly and give feedback and then from the time that we give them feedback and we okay the samples um say it was like 60 to 90 days, then a, a big chunk of that time is whether if you decide to go with airship or, or sea freight, um, which it's really expensive either way nowadays.
0: And what's the route for the person that's like, I wanna own the process, I wanna go at it myself.
2: Yeah, I would say, and Brennan knows a lot more about this. He worked with a lot of the suppliers more than I did, but I, the one piece of advice that I would say is to find one supply, instead of like going through Alibaba, That might be how you have to find an initial supplier but build a relationship with one supplier that you really trust because even if like our jewelry supplier for example she didn't manufacture like yoga mats and socks and all that kind of stuff but she was able to give us recommendations we'd say hey we need to source x and y and she'd say i'll introduce you to my friend who has a manufacturer who does this Uh, and cutting alibaba and like the online you know, lists out of the process, uh, will save you a ton of time. But in the beginning, it's kind of necessary to build that first relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and to really get samples, the you know, the standard advice, get samples from multiple suppliers, assess, uh, get quotes, share quotes with suppliers, and say, I got this quote over here, I got this quote here, try to negotiate as much as you can with the suppliers. Um, and then, yeah, once we establish relationship, like our jewelry supplier was able to then She was a great supplier for us because she even started like floating bills for us like where she we had some other basically guys in the house that were doing some buying some stuff from her as well and she just like started we just built a trustworthy relationship with her and she started like floating some bills for us and it just helped us a lot and we like always paid it back um, you know with future orders and um, she helped us grow really fast which is rare but so you mentioned negotiating with the suppliers
0: what are some levers you can pull for negotiating with the suppliers if in the beginning you know you don't have much right you you don't have um that track record or or something like that to like negotiate with the supplier To so you yeah. know, what are some levers you can pull there
1: yeah i think i think getting like a legit sounding email um first and foremost like from the brand i think just positioning yourself as much bigger than you currently are Um, and and not you don't necessarily have to just come out and like lie and say we do eight figures a year but saying like hey we own a sizable uh, yoga company here here in the states Um, where like we're getting quotes from several suppliers we'd like to reach out to you and then like kind of getting quoted out at a higher minimum order quantity maybe and then kind of working your way down from that we've done that in the past to try to get like their best possible price Um, and then just like the straight up, just like, um, like sharing quotes from suppliers and just being like very transparent. Hey, we got this quote over here. Um, it's the same quality. If you can't beat this quote, like we're, we're not going to be able to work together Mm -hmm. and just being like honest about that and getting, and just shopping around enough to like where you have multiple quotes, um. And, and continuously doing that, too, I think, like, like you could get complacent after you have a relationship set up, but sometimes, you know, there are better options out there. So, like, it's just a continuous process, I think, of like trying to see, you know, any new products, can you bring in a new supplier that has like some other products that you could potentially add? So um, I think it just really comes down to reaching out to several so you know what the market looks like. So
3: one thing I'm curious about is um, after you guys, you know, got started with, you guys question about it. You guys said you started when it was the print on demand. Was that just like apparel and shirts that you would print on? Yeah. Okay. So then you guys go, um, you find your smaller supplier who's able to start introducing other sort of products. But at that time, because it's not print on demand, now you guys actually have to front some capital and invest in inventory. So how does, how does that kind of play out for you guys? How much inventory, um were you buying and because it's obviously great to be able to like start as you were saying cross-selling offering different product opportunities for your customers but how do you juggle switching that business model from not having to necessarily invest in
2: inventory to actually having to put up capital and invest in in inventory yeah it's definitely a balancing act uh it's it's uh, a big change when you consider like that it's money that by a lot of accounts you're not going to see any kind of return on for like nine to 12 months so like uh, that's especially why we run pre-sales it's like when we buy inventory assume that we're not going to see that back for close to a year if ever in some cases so we have to be ready to put set aside an amount of money that we're okay like pretty much losing um be able to break even on it eventually with like a liquidator but um and then the way that we forecast for it is uh like when we order new designs First of all, they've always been tested. Like for example, we uh, were able to do yoga pants on Printify. And then when we went, it was like, I wanna say it was like seven or $8 uh, per pair, somewhere in there. And then when we were able to source them, we ordered about 2000 of each design. uh, And then that cut our cost down to like, it was like just over $5. So like a substantial cost, uh, cut for those and then the mats was something that was completely new so it was definitely worth it on the sales driving side and then we use um like the abc reports in shopify forecasting out um and like seeing which we normally order like our best sellers like every two to three months or so um but it's definitely not easy and i can't (laughs) Brendan, knows this just as well like the more sku's you have the more of a nightmare it can be to like manage your forecasting and your inventory like it especially for apparel like where you have you got to think about like it's it's small through 2XL or 3XL and then you have you know 8 9 10 colors and then you have different styles so you have t-shirt tank top v-neck hoodie long sleeve then you multiply that times all the variants like it is quickly becomes like a, a nightmare of a spreadsheet to look at So that's where we actually at imprint genius is helping us like manage that whole process because that could become like a full-time job.
3: Oh yeah. And I mean, it's like you're saying, it becomes pretty exponential pretty quickly uh, with when you add more SKUs into the mix. Now you're carrying, you know, what, like five, six, seven sizes of each one. And, and you know, then you have to sell each one of those sizes out and, and it's, it can be a lot of inventory. So the, the next thing I'd ask is, so you guys, have clearly validated that there's demand for like the pants and the mats and all this kind of stuff. And then you just said, hey, this is gonna be a, a worthwhile investment based on the signal, signal that we're seeing from the validation. So that's what gave you the confidence and the price point to go you know, pick up some inventory and say, hey, this makes sense for USA.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we were, at the same time, we were growing your email and SMS list too. So we knew that we had a growing list of existing customers that we were gonna be able to sell to we felt confident with the price point that we were getting them at, that we were at least going to be able to flip it at break even. Yeah. Um, which was another like important component, but. So
0: wait, so I I want to touch on that. So when you started it, did you have an end goal in mind? Like, did you, you know, were, were you trying to exit how, or were you like, I just want to start this brand, see where it goes. I want to make profit. I want to exit. I want to exit by this much by X date um you, you know did you have that end goal mapped out from the beginning or not really
1: no no i assume
0: that changes though once like you know things like open store are out there and available like so that's that's why i wanted to ask that question and like you know how that has changed yeah since then but
1: yeah it definitely changes and for a while we just you get so caught up in like the process of running it and growing it and it becomes like when you start to get some traction even before we have traction like it's I think the process is kind of like addicting um, to be able to put products together and have just the potential of a large payout. Someday. Right. Like, and knowing like that the process, yeah. like you kind of have to like fall in love with, it's like cliche again, but fall in love with the process, not the end result. And like Chris and I, like, we always gamified e-commerce because we were always like, oh, like the, we're going to put these up in ads. We're going to run at a three return. Like we're going to be like like selling thousands of units a day, and like we got to that level, but even before we were there, like we believed we were gonna get there, even if we didn't hit that level, it was still fun for us to like build it and like be doing our own thing um and just like turn it into a game. We just saw numbers and like pr- profit reports and like we're just trying to like manage our cash flow and like you know it's there's you look at it as like stressful, like oh we're have a lot invested a lot over here, and like certainly is in some aspects but like i think for us what always helped us was just having like a positive mindset with like how we treated e-commerce because like we've lost it's like normal for us and you guys know it too obviously like you're you're gonna have days where you lose thousands tens of thousands of dollars potentially on like mistakes that happen in the business and like you just kind of have to roll with the punches and like realize it's like an amazing opportunity to be here selling you know creating your own brands like it's an amazing opportunity
0: can't have a yoga company with a toxic mindset yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. it's like namaste brand and everything's yeah. gonna be like okay. you are perfect just the way you are yeah. like, exactly. like, like oh, okay I need to hear that today <laughs> sorry Blaine. Yeah. I totally hijacked yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah. previous answer
3: so so at what point after you guys introduce all these different um, product lines then you're really continuing to grow the business so you said you started in like um, when did you start yoga stay, like 2019, is that right? Right before COVID. Right before January COVID. So, yeah. okay. So like January, 2020, you started, you start introducing these lines, COVID hits, you move into, um, you know, your smaller manufacturer. And then, you know, we're sitting here right now, what is it, July or June, <laughs> June, almost July, June, 2022, you guys have already sold the business, right? So why don't you walk me through a little bit? about um, what that process leading up to it it was like, how you guys figured out, like found out about OpenStore, how you decided, you're like, okay, you know, this is something that we wanna move on from and what the process was in terms of like ramping up the business from just growing it, validating it to all the way through, um, you know, the eventual sale.
2: Uh, Yeah, so the, we started in 2020 and then through all of COVID, it was great. It honestly feels like it's crazy how long ago it was. Now it feels like it was two weeks ago, but um, we first found out. And to answering your earlier question, we had no plans to exit when we first started. At least for myself, like we didn't even know like that was a possibility. We were just like making internet dollars, right? <laughs> like excited about that, and, uh, or not work for someone else. Yeah, just, exactly. You know,
0: have your own freedom. Jeez.
2: Yeah, but we yeah we were honestly just having a lot of fun like building and growing it. Um, and over time, like, we added in, like, the socks brand and the tie-dye brand. And it, it uh, at the time, it was just, and still today, it was just Brandon and myself. And then we had, like, a couple of VAs. We didn't really have, like, a team of, like, there was nobody else in the U.S. here with us. Um, so it quickly became, like, a lot to manage. Um, and Yoga Stay, we first found out about Open Store about, I want to say, like, six months before we actually ended up closing with them um, and we heard about it like didn't I think I saw them through like an ad or like an online article or something originally and they uh, Seemed really interesting because I had talked with people on like Shopify exchange and like done the normal thing where <clears throat> You get a bunch of tire kickers who are not that serious mm-hmm. people who are just like trying to learn your website and, Yeah, exactly mm-hmm. people that just want your domain your supplier and like I kind of thrown out the ideas like exiting so I was like if this is what it is like I'm not even gonna go down that path but then when open store got back to us with an offer within like 24 hours I was like all right this actually this is completely different than the other experiences I had, had. Um, and yeah I feel like we were just at the point where uh, it kind of makes sense for us to start having those conversations and just kept getting better and better as we were talking to them it's like it's a quick transition it's like upfront then you know after the transition period is the payments opposed to like an earn out and all that kind of stuff and um, yeah it was just super clean and and easy working with them so I think that was the piece that at least for me that finally got me pushed over the edge of like it's gonna be this easy like I don't know where else we're really gonna find that what about for you Brandon
1: yeah I mean I agree with all of that just having multiple businesses to I think we were on the same page that we wanted to kind of simplify what we were doing and like kind of start to try to focus on, you know, one main thing. Um, And yeah, I mean, specifically with OpenStore leading up to it, um, just talking, they were like very involved and like super, super helpful. They clearly wanted to get the deal done. We wanted to get it done. So it was very like just smooth process with them. Um, And like even, you know, we're sitting here several months after, like we have an opportunity to do a podcast with you guys. Like they've done a couple other podcast opportunities and like, you know, they've taken us out to dinner and like they're, they're, they've just been very, um, very easy to work with. And yeah, I would definitely, definitely recommend them.
3: So just for context for like the audience at, you know, what was the scale um, of yoga say when you did sell, like how much revenue were you guys pulling in and then how much did you guys sell it for?
1: Yeah. So we, we got over lifetime of yoga stay. We were close to 4 million total revenue, um, over two and a half years or two, two years basically. Um, and then we ended up selling it. Um, we got 250 equity for it. And then we had 250 K, uh, invested in inventory. Um,
2: I think we actually sold it on pretty close to the two year anniversary.
1: Yeah. So pretty much two years. Um, and yeah, I mean, the whole, I mean, even the inventory process was like very smooth with them. Like,
0: yeah. What, 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 what was it? Why did, did it you... take six months too? Then it, so it's 24 hours. For the yeah. offer. For the offer. Oh, it took you six months to basically make the decision. Was that it? Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Well, I,
2: I heard about it then just kind of like forgot about it. I was like, oh, that's cool, but I'm just going to keep running it. And then, uh, like as time went on, I like kept hearing about them again and again from different places. And that got me to like come back and look at it. And, and what's the inventory
0: process in terms of, you know, handing that over? Um, you know, did they say, hey, this relationship with the supplier is extremely important. We need you to stay for X amount or like, hey, you can just leave right now, do whatever you want, sell. We'll take care of the inventory. Like how did how did that play out?
2: Yeah, it's a pretty collaborative process with them. Um, it's like they just take an account at, like at close of like how much inventory there is, where it came from, who the suppliers are, where it currently sits, just like all the typical diligence type, mm-hmm. type um, elements. And then uh, it depends on each business, but uh, they have like their own partners they work with, I know. But for us, because we had such like a customized solution with like, the combination of like print-on-demand and our Copac like 3PL products they kept it with our, our current supplier because there's not like Too many uh, in the country that are able to do stuff along those lines like having DTG and like screen printers and like Fulfillment Center all under the same roof is pretty rare. mm mm-hmm. So in our case, they left it there, but um, I Know that they have like other partners they work with for the other businesses they acquire.
3: And what did, what did the rest of the process look like where, you know, they were obviously diligencing and, um, you know, like you said, they they figured out how you guys had everything set up on the back end and everything. But like from, you know, what what were the other components of like actually getting to the point where you guys are hands fully off the wheel? You're out of here. You've, you've passed the business over um, and they're able to like pick up and continue to scale it from where you guys left off.
1: Trans transition wise yeah like
3: what what else was involved in it was there anything or we had, I-, I mean we
1: had some training calls um, mm-hmm. some training calls some handoff to their marketing team um, but they're like acquiring so many businesses that they have like processes they have like the operators lined up they have mm-hmm. their processes already in place they have their marketing teams already in place like they they're a seasoned you know, D to C brand operator already. So it's not like a new buyer where we're like, this is Shopify. Yeah. This is like how you do this. This is yeah. this. like, they know how to do everything already. So it was like so easy. Um, because we were like also talking to some buyers that had no e-commerce experience, like some real estate guys. And they were, we're just like, Oh man, <laughs> like, like, like you're going to buy this and probably make no money afterwards. Cause they just have no idea how to run it. Um, but where we felt confident with open store, like they're serious, like e-commerce operators as well. So it's very.
3: So it makes smart. it e- easy for you. Cause you guys are like, okay, they know this is going to be a smooth transition. They know what they're looking for. We know yeah. what we have to hand over. Here you go. Here's all the processes that we run. Here's what you guys need. Yeah. And
0: I mean, I think it's important too, for the longevity of your career as like an e-commerce entrepreneur that you know, it's in good hands, you know, it's going to keep growing. Um, that obviously helps you as, you know, whatever opportunities sign up in the future. Hey, I was the founder of Yoga Stay, and that company is still running and operating today versus, yeah, you know, it's it's no longer running. I sold it to somebody who didn't know how to operate it.
1: Yeah, and and OpenStore is such a big name too. Like I was in Ireland last week and just talking to some tech guys and they they know OpenStore. Like, OpenStore, oh wow, like it's such a big name. They're like, Mm -hmm. how was that? Everyone's very curious because they have such a big name in the space um and yeah like you said too just like the network too like we've went out you know for some drinks with joe and emory and like we're learning i feel like just as much from them as like we're kind of teaching them because they're running multiple brands they're like doing really cool stuff with all the brands that they're acquiring yeah the economies of scale yeah we have like just a collaborative like like we're like friends with some of the guys that work here now we meet up with them and like like you guys like you guys both have like very successful companies and past companies like you know, we could do a podcast where we're asking you guys, you know, a hundred questions, and would like enjoy that probably more than this because we'd, we'd we'd get to learn, like, kind of, you know, we're in like gr- ground zero now, like we're trying to make move- our next moves. Like, I I would love to even just like,
0: well,
3: I, some I point.
1: well, one, let's uh,
3: let's absolutely do that, but but two, why don't why don't you tell us now that you guys like have transitioned out of um yoga stay and you've sold it, like, what are what's next on the horizon for you? That must be a massive like relief off your shoulders in terms of like being able to like successfully exit, right? And like, you know, wh- I know we're chatting about it offline a little bit, but what's uh, what's in the pipeline for you guys?
1: So I, I need something soon because I'm like getting a little depressed, not making any money. <laughs> like I used to love waking up and checking dashboards. Yeah. And, like, I, like I, and now I'm just like, oh man, like I don't have any, like a couple of like side, smaller side things. Yeah. But, not like anything like our stores. Um, so I'm actually I'm interested, um, and you guys are you know well versed in this. Like interested in potentially partnering with some creators, um, launching brands with some creators. It kind of, it's 2022. You guys have probably you know there are the iOS. You know you guys have probably talked about that. All, yeah. yeah, very frequently. And so I'm we're kind of trying to. I'll speak for myself at least. We're we're still figuring out kind of you know what what the next steps are, but very interested in launching with creators and having our traffic, you know, issue, I guess, solved by having, working with engaging creators um, where we're able to bring our D2C expertise, sourcing, web development, marketing, and combine that with like a powerful creator. Um, I'm curious to hear like your guys' thoughts. on. So I'm curious awesome. to hear curses too. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah.
3: Yeah. I, mean I, I think it's like, what's that that famous quote about like entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs, they always say, first time entrepreneurs are focused on product, and second time entrepreneurs are focused on um, distribution. Yeah, so like distribution first. Yeah, yeah, so. so, true. so, so um, well, they
0: say third one is focus on team because then <laughs> once you get the distribution, then recruiting and everything is so hard <laughs> too. Yeah yeah.
3: yeah. yeah, but I mean, I think that I mean, from a lot of the people that we've spoken with in the space, it seems like the there's a ton of creators. All these creators are launching different brands. They clearly have audience. They're trying to come up and develop um, organic or like products that really like resonate with, you know, their user base, feel authentic, that sort of thing. I think the big opportunity for people who are like in your guys's position is it seems like the big limiting factor in the creator space are people on the operating side, right? Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of the operators have like launched their own brands, but there's more, you know, comparatively there's more creators out there than like successful operators who have like launched and have the freedom to go pursue like kind of what you guys are talking about. So I think that's a a pretty good, which is a tipping
0: point in the creator economy because it didn't used to be like that. Um, there weren't, you know, that many creators that, you know, like now there's a big enough pipeline out there where like, you can you can definitely land a creator um to work with and the big benefit of doing brands with creators is that not only do you get the distribution angle you also get the content angle because you can use their community for creating the content so it's just killing two two birds with one stone so i'm excited to to see what's next for you but i'm also curious for chris if you're thinking along those same lines or you you know you're doing real estate.
2: i feel very similar with the uh It's so weird not like once you get to the point of exit of like uh, not waking up and having six different dashboards to be checking immediately and uh, Yeah, I I think it's a good point to be at Uh, I think there's a lot to learn and like, you know being uncomfortable in that Like learning how to be, you know, can't get yoga stay out of me But like learn how to be still Mm -hmm. like just enjoy like being Relaxed and like I, I feel like entrepreneurs at least for myself constantly running from one thing to the next and it feels like I always have a sense of like being super busy. There's always something that needs to be done even when there's really not Mm -hmm. And I think that now i'm at like a unique point brennan too where like I can learn from that and just like chill out for a little bit And I also think from the business side I feel like we're at like kind of like you guys are talking about with the creators I feel like we're at like a really big inflection point in like e-commerce and just like business in general I mean like AI, the creator stuff, like it's crazy the things that are gonna be happening soon, AI especially, that I think it's just gonna be like, within the next couple of years, it's gonna be a completely different playing field. Yeah. Um, So I think taking this time to like, learn what I can about that and like, see how I think things might play out where like the best opportunities could be.
0: I think one of the most, like one of the biggest benefits of having that exit, it's the intangible of having the luxury of time, um, to really choose the right opportunity at the right time. Because as you mentioned, when you're operating and you don't have that cash reserve, you just have to go from product to product from brand to brand. Um, but sometimes like, Hey, it might, you know, I I don't, that opportunity is not obvious to me. I'm going to take the time to learn and then jump, you know, you can pick and choose basically like that's, That's such a big benefit. And I think
3: what you were saying, like in terms of like having that freedom as an entrepreneur to like suss out what that next opportunity is, it's so like valuable because like what you're saying, when you're when you're in it, you're going from this out, you have like responsibilities that are holding you down. And then when you're out of it, you're like, okay, well, I want to be operating because like that's what I'm used to be doing. But like it may be the most valuable time to actually not be doing something where you can actually size up like what the next opportunity is, go validate it. then go all in on it right and and there's no rush there's always markets markets are always changing they're developing new opportunities are popping up here and there so that's like the other
2: yeah and and it's like we can become like almost addicted without even realizing it to the craziness and being so busy especially when you have that runway that you're like staring down the barrel of the gun for like there's nothing it's like crack like you have to be like going 24 7. and then when that finally all stops it like It takes, like, another level of, like, awareness that it's, like, that's why it feels uncomfortable, like, to really be okay with it and not be, like, constantly running.
0: It feels, it it feels, like, insanely unproductive, probably, but, you know, in the scheme of things, like, you're also just being more diligent with what you choose to invest your time into, and so in the long run, it'll just save you probably a bunch of time. Um, That's why I also mentioned the, the thing about timing, because... I think timing its it's just, it's so important to, um, you know, you can evaluate all you want, but um, if you can have time on your side, um, that's, that's when you're really going to have the leverage. So the cash, the cash is great. Um, of course, who, who doesn't love, you know, some, some cash in the bank, but um, I'm excited to see like how you guys, you know, can take your time now and, and pick that next opportunity that, is screaming at you, that is the next obvious path.
1: Yeah. What, what gets you guys, so you guys have done 200 plus D to C pods, what gets you guys excited in the space?
3: Um, I think kind of like what we we're talking about, I think there is an exciting part in the creator space, like bridging creator and commerce. Um, as we were kind of talking about offline, I think one of the challenges though is um, finding like the right medium between where the creator because it's a representation of them, it's their own brand. Where they kind of overstep, and then things break down, and you're basically at their mercy if they, you know, if all of a sudden they're not excited about it or this or that. And so, like a lot of times, like what I've seen, even to like launching, um, one of the tricky parts about like pairing up with teaming up with creators is there's so many different people involved. A lot of times, it's not just the creator. You might have their manager. Like they have a whole team. They all ha- they have they all want a piece of everything. So it's like. Mm-hmm it's really tough to get these businesses into motion. And then once they are in motion, you're kind of like at their mercy. So trying to figure out um, the right framework to for a partnership to set up before like ending up in a situation where like you guys put in all this work, you get everything set up, we're like good to go. And then, you know, they change their mind. They're like, oh, I'm working on this. I'm actually too busy for that. And you're like, wait, what the hell? I thought yeah. we were going to, you know, kick this off. So that would be... Um, the framework I evaluate things with I do think but like on the flip side of that right like what we were saying before these creators they have super engaged audiences communities they can definitely push product especially when it's a really good product and if it's authentic with them so like there are those two sides to it so it's just about trying to evaluate opportunities just whereas the entrepreneur you're not the one like holding the bag um, and you have like the right structure set up for whatever product is that you want to build
0: yeah, I mean, to me, what gets me really excited, I think it's like um, native content first brands that are just creating such good and engaging native content that it's a way of owning their distribution. I call it like the the modern era SEO, which is, you know, creating organic content, TikTok, Instagram, just like, you know, Tabs, a company we had, Midday Squares, they have their own, like, Reality TV show on Instagram, of course, that's a whole, you know, different kind of, of brand to build, and and you know, some people have expertise in the, in those areas and domains, but um, I just think it, it's it, it definitely sets um, brands apart. So I'm really excited to see to see brands continue to evolve in that space and own their distribution, and you know, um, I think some companies are going to be operating. 100% through their own distribution. Um, I think you know 50, 50 plus percent is a lot more realistic, um, but I think some brands are gonna be able to pull it off. Of course, depends what scale you're trying to get the company. Um, and then the other thing I'm really excited about is it's not just being biased because it's an open store episode, but um, I'm just really excited to see the space evolve, knowing that you know there's a partner like that out there buying companies and that you can build a company with intention first. You know, I have a nephew who's like going to go to college soon. And I'm like, if I were you and I could start over, I would like just learn how to build an e-commerce business and probably sell it to something like open store and, you know, make a few hundred grand, not be in the whole a few hundred grand after being in college so i think it's just anything that has to do with you know changing how how people make money and, and changing their their financial outcomes in life is, is something really exciting so that's that's what gets me yeah and, and i space. mean just
3: just for us on like d2c pod and like why we started and what we're really interested in is like this intersection between um creators commerce and consumer brands right so like consumer not just in the sense of um like like consumer tech for example right where they've created these like multi-channel experiences where they're engaging with you like digitally like you know on your phone like a consumer tech might be anything from like an app so for example seated what we built it was like a consumer marketplace right so when we were thinking about engaging customers it wasn't like to purchase merchandise or anything like that but it was a multifaceted experience and where, where you're creating all these different customer cohorts and unique experiences for these like customers and you're creating a marketplace and and I think what's going to be really exciting is you have you know the convergence of commerce which is like what you guys have built which is like e-commerce then you have creators who are going audience first and then launching brands or products out of and then you have like all these best practices from consumer tech or even like b2b to be honest and like right in the middle of those I think you'll see some really innovative brands popping up and that's kind of like Things that are definitely really exciting for for us as well.
1: Yeah, I saw you guys just shared something where it's like on product page on your Twitter maybe mm-hmm. on like product pages you can now people there's an app or something where you could put video testimonials and I'm like it just like hit me earlier today when I was like doing oh a yeah that's for that's this. my company trend oh. we just launched a Shopify app where like you can
0: create. Um, you can add all sort of these unboxing and product testimonials to
1: the product page. Like it's like, it's like the future. Like you're able to see people experience the emotions right. you were going to experience after you order it ahead of time. Yeah. It's like, I think that's why people get so excited and it's like, I don't know. It's, it is crazy to, like, that's a crazy example. I think of like, it's in motion, like some of these changes already, like
3: yeah, it's so fast, but I think even to your point, like where we're, where we opened up the episode where you talked about like at the end, you know, in the beginning, you guys lived in this house with 12 other people. They're testing on 12 different stores and you're sharing insights and learning. Like part of the reason like we love doing this is because we get to talk to like really smart guys like you and like constantly hearing all these different perspectives. I think it's just like an amazing way to to like keep a pulse on like what's going on in the industry, where things are headed, because like you you running one business can only learn so many things. Right. Yeah. So like trying to pick up learnings from um, everyone and get as many vantage points and perspectives because in order to be like really successful you can't just be doing what's like already been done because like that's already played out so you have to be able to pull different perspectives whether like what's what's happening what's working on the cutting edge of like b2b what's working on the cutting edge of consumer tech what's working on the cutting edge of creator and then if you can kind of like Anticipate where the market's going like like you guys the stuff you guys were doing in 2017 You guys were doing that before everyone in the world was launching an e-commerce brand, right? That's why you guys are successful um, and have already like exited multiple brands
0: So real quick before we wrap up I do have You know a question which is like regardless of all these future trends um, And different way to build businesses the principles of operating the business are always gonna you know are still the same So knowing what you know now um, what, what is like top five, like checklist things that like a business, if you could start over knowing what you know now with open store, what are five things like checklist items that, you know, you definitely want to, you know, cross off before starting the business, whether it's like a specific contractor or anything on the finance side, supply marketing, whatever.
2: Yeah. Great question. Mm-hmm. I would say number one thing is, not anything with like assuming like llc formation and like all that kind of stuff is already set up number one thing is validating the idea and never moving forward with an idea whether it's SaaS, consulting e-commerce doesn't like local business does not matter what it is do not move forward with that idea and making any kind of substantial time or financial investment until it has been validated by the market and the market is not like our families (laughs) it's not your friends Uh, like if you tell your mom you have this like great idea, she's going to say it's a great idea. Uh, a twist you can do is like tell your family or friend, like I heard about this. What do you think? You know, that might be one way, but test it in the market. And once that's happened and you've seen from thousands of customers hitting your site and interacting with it, that's when it's time to move forward I'd say like we could cut out the other four, like just do, (laughs) just do that thing first. and then the second thing is knowing your numbers extremely well that's something that we learned the hard way early on uh that we did not uh like we were just watching like cash flow we weren't necessarily watching like uh our balance sheets and PLs like close enough and now like we were running those religiously towards the end the com- yeah. yeah completely changed yeah. Uh, the way we ran our business so forecasting demand number one number two knowing your finances uh, and then number three is is the team. I think that's an area that we could have like a bigger opportunity for us to scale would have been being able to replicate ourselves across the team um, instead of like us being the operators in the business.
0: Yeah. Like now, you know, what are the things I should definitely delegate and that I can and what are the things that, you know, that I shouldn't.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I would have liked to spend more time trying to delegate marketing, new product development, which were like primarily our tasks. We had outsourced customer service, a lot of supply chain kind of daily supply chain tasks, but I would really like to try to tackle delegating marketing. And just to add to that too, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I think just like mindset wise, like when I, when I got started, I was just like consuming so much content. It was in courses and like, it was just like, I learned a hundred times more by just starting the first thing and just like getting products in. I got lucky that it worked for me on my first time. And you know, it gave me positive momentum, but like realistically, like we have had way more failures than we've had success too. We've, we've probably launched 15 to 20 stores. We've had five successful, five or six successful stores. Like we just move fast, test things like the classic, like move fast, break things, like fix it kind of like, especially like with e-commerce, online business, it's easy to move fast. Like you have no excuse not to move fast and at least test concepts and ideas. And then when you have something you you believe in and you know, or at least believe that can be a success, then taking the time and investing in, in all the, you know, the copy and the product, you know, quality and pictures and all of that. But until you get to that point, just moving fast until you find something. That's exactly what I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna do next. Move fast until we find some more winning businesses.
3: Well, yeah, and I, I love the the concept of validating before you invest because most of the things, especially in e-commerce, like you're able to actually validate um, an idea before investing a ton of money into physical product that you're not able to move. And then, and then you know, that comes with a whole another uh another grouping of problems but whatever business you're building too even in even in the SaaS space there's a lot of stuff that you can do to validate before there's certain businesses that you can get validation and then it comes down to like execution but by and large every business i love that like if you can take one snippet out of here it's like validate 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 Mm -hmm. Um, i
0: think it's important to know like you know to define validation as it's really hard to consider something validated until you have dollars being handed to you for it. Like, you know, what you mentioned of asking, like... Make people pay. Right.
2: Make people vote with their wallets
0: For sure. Yeah. I mean, because you can convince yourself so easily that it's validated, even if you ask people at a bar or whatever or anywhere, but just, yeah, charge for it. Just, it's going to feel uncomfortable if it's your first time doing it. But it's not the end of the world. Just don't spend the money. <laughs> like, worst case scenario, you're gonna refund these people. Worst case scenario, supplier is backed up. You say, hey, I can refund you, or otherwise, I'm sorry for the inconvenience. You know, here's like a 50% coupon code for this order or your next order. If you don't mind waiting, you at least cover the entire cost for that first inventory purchase. You're off to the races. I think one of my favorite parts about this episode was what you mentioned about printful is that what the company is called
2: that's one of them yeah yeah yeah. printify printify
0: sorry um printify (laughs) yeah uh it it happens all the time Yeah, yeah yeah so um what i love about that is like hey you're not optimizing for you know the world's best margins or unit economics you understand you're coming from a bootstrapping angle and then you eventually then okay we're at a point where we can um focus on on these margins so yeah well anyway guys
3: Thanks for for joining us. Loved learning about um, Yoga Save, your guys' transition selling to open store, and can't wait to uh, to hear what you guys are, start building next.
0: Yeah, for sure, absolutely.
3: Well, That's and awesome. and for our listeners, where can where can they connect with you guys? Are you guys on Twitter? Uh, any social platforms, LinkedIn,
2: anything like that? I ironically don't use Facebook or Instagram ever. <laughs> Aside from the ads manager, <laughs> yeah. uh, so
1: that's enough. L- LinkedIn, yeah. LinkedIn, uh, Brendan and Twitter. T- I'm gonna, i to I want to start posting on Twitter, just like ecom, e-commerce stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, just start getting out there and like meeting you guys and just so many cool people in the space, like. Just no reason not to share what we're learning along the way.
0: Yeah, we'll add, we'll add it to the show notes. Awesome. Chris, do yeah, you? M-
2: my email is chris at chrisackman.org. You won't find me on Facebook or anything. You can just retweet them to get started. Yeah, yeah, I will. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll
1: retweet, retweet you guys.
3: All right, guys. Yeah. Thanks. Love having you guys
2: on. Thanks yeah. a lot. Thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks for
1: having us. Appreciate it.